Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Recovery Friends Podcast. My name is Andy, and I am the host of this show. Um, the Recovery Friends Podcast is a show where people who are in active recovery from addiction share their unique experience in the hope that listeners still in active addiction can identify with their stories and find hope for their own recovery. We are not affiliated with or do we speak with any 12-step programs or any other addiction or recovery-based entity. The words spoken here reflect the experiences of our guests and not the opinion of their chosen path to recovery. Today, our guest is going to be Drew. Um, Drew is a good friend of mine now. Um, I think at the time we were just starting to become friends. I think doing the podcast together uh, made us a little closer. And uh, we also worked uh, like a group step study thing together. Um, and that was really nice. Um, he's very funny uh, and he's got a good story. So I hope you guys enjoy. Hello. Okay, I think. Uh, how now, brown cow? How now, brown cow? Brown <clears throat> chicken, brown cow? Brown chicken, brown cow. All right, I got to turn this thing on airplane mode because it's going to. All right, cool. We're recording. Okay. What's up? What's up, Andy? Not much, man. Um, thanks for coming to do this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, we've been. Uh, shit, I, had, I don't think I've released an episode of this in over a year so i'm trying to get back on track you know uh i think i might get abby next okay that'd be a good one yeah although i think maybe i don't even know if she did it she might have but i could get alexa you can't remember if abby did it already or not i know it's weird <laughs> huh? <laughs> i hope she hears this <laughs> no if she did it no she didn't do it i think we talked about it uh it's hard to keep track i mean i've for at least hundreds upon hundreds of episodes, not that many, maybe like thirty. That's still like, that's a, that's a lot. That's a decent yeah. number. Um, all right, so I think we went over all the uh, the um, the things. Let's see, man, this damn yeah. Oh. yeah. Get rid of the phones. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we went over the um, the prerequisites. Uh, I think um, I'm trying to think. I don't remember the first time. I don't, like, we met. I think it was probably just one of those, like, oh, hey, what's up in a meeting? I do remember, actually. I think it was, it was the first time we at least had a conversation was New Year's Day 2020. Oh, wow. I think it was right after I moved here. It was definitely pre-COVID when I was asked to speak at the men's group at the previous location. Oh, yeah. And oh. you were chairing. So before the meeting, we were having like a random, you know, yeah. small talk. God, I, really, the meeting. I vague, barely remember that. But yeah, I, it was at the old location. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I, I remember you saying you were from... Moved here from Charleston. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So by that point, I was here. I had been here for two months. Yeah. Two, two or three months. So yeah, it was a good chat. I remember you being a likable guy. Uh-huh. And I specifically remember that night in particular because someone got shot and killed in a drive-by pretty close to my house. So like driving to that meeting, it was like cop cars everywhere. Oh, shit. The little 
triangular little bullet markers all over the street. Yeah. That's so, yeah. Common occurrence here in New Orleans. It is. It is. Um, so it's, yeah, those. Yeah. It's so crazy how common that is. Like how, and how used to like just hearing gunshots you get when you live here. Yeah. And it's, it's obviously scary in some ways. It's a little, I don't know, exciting. You know, it kind of feels it's like I live so... in Gotham city a little bit. <laughs> you feel like a weird pride about living <laughs> like there's like about all the murders, but you, at the same, it sucks. Obviously it's not cool, but like you get like this weird sense of like pride that you live in a dangerous place, which is like sick. Yeah. I feel like it <laughs> makes me more of a man. You know? <laughs> same. Yeah. No, it's like if I hear gunshots, and I know this is wrong and I'm not saying it's right, but this is like my mind goes to like my mind om- like weirdly hopes that it's like some violence. Like if I hear bang, 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 I'm like violence. Mm. Yeah. Like sometimes <laughs> if I if it if I think it might be fireworks, I'm a little disappointed. I'm like, yeah, oh, that's boring. Damn, that was way yeah. too like it, the timing between them was too perfect. That's probably fireworks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I feel like I get excited sometimes when it's gunshots because it gives me a story to tell other people. Yeah. It's a good conversation starter. And you're like, dude. Dude. Last night. Yep. Someone got killed. <laughs> God, that's so fucked up, though. <laughs> and it's horrible. And, like, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a real shame that there's so much uh, violence in this city. Um, hold on one second. We're going to pause <laughs> for a minute. All right. There, we're back. We are back. <laughs> we had a, a guest. I probably should put something over that door. Um, we are in my bike shop, so like customers see the lights on and they're like, "Hey, Andy's in there." <laughs> All right. So, okay, we're not uh, minimizing the the travesty of murder. Uh, we're trying. We're not. See, correct. We're, we're, yeah. See, and I'm the one tell, that told you not to say anything controversial. <laughs> Uh, Was that controversial? I don't know. No, you never I know. I, yeah. I'm like, I'm so scared, you know. I'm, so, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just terrified. I'm always just wondering if I'm going to get canceled. At, yep. You know. <laughs> always f- terrified of saying the wrong thing. Yeah. It's yep. a fear we all live with today. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so anyways, yeah. we. Uh, I remember now, vaguely, but I do. Uh, and I remember you saying you were from one of the Carolinas. Uh, and that was it. But I do remember... You have a very unique voice. Okay. If that, I'll if take any, that as a compliment. If, I don't know if anybody's ever told you that. I do get that sometimes. Um, I've been told oftentimes that I have a really loud voice. Um, I have heard unique. Some Every once in a while, I'll tell, people will tell me I have a radio voice, which I think is utter bullshit. No, like, no. no. I would say you could do radio. It's like, okay. You have like a nice tone to your voice. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I don't know. Almost every time I talk, I'm like, God, I sound so dumb. No, you sound intelligent. Okay. You know, which is why I have a real fear of listening (laughs) to this podcast afterwards. But yeah, well, you'll do. I'm sure you're going to do great. Uh, So anyways, yeah. So you moved here uh, after how many years you got sober? You were like two years, three years, four years. My sobriety date is June 28th, 2015. Oh shit. So five years. I moved here October 2019. So... We'll see basic math. About four and a half years okay. I had when I moved here. So, uh, cool. So, why don't you just, uh, I mean, if you want to just start telling your story from the beginning, and yeah. we can just uh, go from there. Oh, oh and I'm going to, see, there's my phone. Let's, it's <laughs> Okay, it's 727 right now. 727. Around 8, you should be wrapping it up. Okay. 
This the fr- the first part around eight. Yeah, and then okay. we'll and then we'll take a break and then we'll come back. Hey Siri, set the alarm for eight o'clock. All right, Sick. alarm is set. All right. All right, so the very beginning, let's see. Um, yeah, I'll just start from the very, very beginning. Um, was born in South Bend, Indiana, mm. um, February 3rd, 1988. Um, you know, was born to a, a relative, a pretty normal family. You know, childhood was really good. Um I did move around a lot. So like I said, I was born in South Bend. I never tell people I'm from Indiana because I moved from there to kind of Boston area, like Cape Cod, um, probably when I was about four. Yeah. It was about kindergarten age. Um, but it really was kind of your typical, like, all-American family. Um, parents were real are pretty highly educated. They both went to Duke. You know, we quite literally had like white picket fences and golden retrievers. Um, you know, it was a really lovely family to grow up in. Um, but did move around a lot. That first move at the age of four wasn't bad because, you know, I'm just you fucking, don't even fucking remember four. It. Yeah. Do you remember it? I do. I do remember, you know, childhood. I remember kind of the cul-de-sac street we grew up on. I remember uh, the house next door. Um, had a girl that was exactly my age. She was like my bestie. She had a younger brother. We would always play. Um, it was really good. And then I actually fairly vividly remember my dad coming up from work one night and just saying like, Hey, we're moving. And I think my, I remember my sister and I have an older sister, four years older. Um, I remember her being maybe a little distraught over it, I guess. I remember it being a big deal. Like we're moving. How much older? Four years older. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I just remember it being like a real big deal and I understood it. Um, but I, I don't know. I was just kind of like, okay, cool, whatever. You know, I'm not really at the age of four. I'm not really yeah. tied you to like really... my community or. You're flexible. Yeah. Flexible. <laughs> yeah. You know. um, so yeah, we moved to Massachusetts and um, yeah, happy parents, you know, parents always you know, it did well. Um, I kind of always, I got whatever I wanted. Childhood was great. Um, somewhere and obviously I didn't think I wasn't this introspective at the time, but kind of in hindsight, since I've been sober, just looking back on kind of my childhood, I can now see a lot of the isms, um, that were just kind of ingrained in my personality, meaning the alcoholic traits, you know, stuff that would get me in trouble drunk, but also I now realize were things that would come up, you know, as like a sober five-year-old meaning yeah. I would say things that I thought were funny or, you know, just say things that were just kind of on my mind with no filter. Like they, you know, like real young <laughs> saying dick jokes and um, stuff like that, you know, especially to kind of get a laugh out of people and adults would be like, dude, that's very inappropriate. But hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But um, say it again. But hey, come here, kid. <laughs> say that thing you said. Exactly. Like I currently, I would find it hilarious, but I remember probably non-alcoholic adults were like, no, you really can't say that. So things, yeah, like I thought like a lot of little kids, I thought dick jokes were really funny from a young age. Yeah. So very, um, impulsive, I guess, with my mm-hmm. behavior <clears throat> and my words, a lot like a, a drunk adult. Um, and then I 
feel like I always gravitated towards the troublemakers. You know, I, I was always kind of gravitated towards kids who I thought were real cool and funny. And I remember adults being like, no, kind of keep your distance from so-and-so he's kind of a troublemaker. Mm. Um, and I, I had frequent, I guess, temper tantrums. Um, was just kind of an emotional kid, emotional, sensitive kid. And, uh, I think kind of with a bad temper too. So, um, I don't know. I, I kind of look back on that. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's kind of, did you get in a lot of fights as a kid? No, not really physical fights. I just, um, I, again, this is not something I really knew or noticed at the time, but my mom I'll say is someone that is a good candidate for this program of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I can say that, right? I can name drop a. Sure. Yeah, Just yeah. give me her email later and I'll send, it, I'll send her <laughs> the audio file. Yeah. Send her a digital big book copy. <laughs> um, no, but she's definitely a good candidate. Uh, I won't call her an alcoholic because as far as I know, she hasn't diagnosed herself. But I would get in frequent dramatic fights with her. Um you know, I don't know who's to blame. I think it was just kind of those two alcoholics, you know, we have a way of really, I guess, getting under each other's skins and kind of two emotional, sensitive people. I just remember a lot of temper tantrums with my mom. Um, so it was more, I guess, just emotional f uh, fighting. I never really got into too many like fist fights or anything. Yeah, um, me either. Yeah, I don't really have the oh. stature <laughs> to, for those of you listening. Um, yeah, I don't have the build to be a real good fighter. Um, so, yeah, okay. So we went from, from Indiana to Massachusetts. That was me as kind of a kiddo. Um, so fast forward a little bit. Um, we then, after so from like kindergarten through third grade... Uh, we lived in Massachusetts, you know, again, kind of great household, lovely childhood. Um, I then started to notice more of issues pop up with my mom. Um, again, not like at that age, I wasn't like, oh, mom's got a drinking problem, but I would frequently notice she would just act weird, mm. you know, it, and my dad traveled a lot, um, he was and still is in sales. So he was just traveling a lot all over the place. So most of the time it was just me and my sister and, and my mom. And, you know, I just remember like at the dinner table eating dinner with my mom and I'd be like, why is she acting so fucking weird? You know, just you're like your typical drunk person, like kind yeah. of overly like lovey dovey and affectionate, like giving me just like weird looks. <laughs> and I was like, why is she acting so weird? Um, and at the time it just didn't occur to me. Um, and I also remember she got a real bad car wreck where I think she got, I don't know, according to her at the time, I think a big truck like veered into her lane and drove her off the road, flipped her car. Damn. It was a big, she was fine physically. Um, I remember her being really <clears throat> beaten up about it. Like the, the next few days afterwards, she would just randomly break down in tears mm. in the kitchen just because it was like, oh, I almost died. I'm, and your dad was out of town for that? I think so. I remember him being back, like consoling her and stuff. I just remember I was, you know, like seven years old eating breakfast and mom starts breaking down crying in the kitchen. Hey. 
And I was like, what is up with her? And uh, she, you know, she was upset because she got in a traumatic car wreck. And I came to find out years later that she was drunk as shit in the car. So, oh, so she, yeah. Yeah. And I, and she, and this was shielded for me. I had no idea of this at the time, but she, she got a DUI. I don't know the outcome of that. I just remember years later, my sister was like, oh yeah, mom was hammered. She got a DUI. Like my dad had to bail her out of jail. It was a whole thing. Um, so those were very much issues going on in the house, but I was pretty shielded from that. Um, and also I came to learn later that that's where my parents really started having issues. Um, the marriage just wasn't great. Um, so in, while I was in third grade, it then came up that we were going to move to Pittsburgh. Um, and again, my sister was in middle school at the time. So she was real upset about that. I was actually kind of excited. Um, my dad was born and raised in Pittsburgh, so he would always have good things to say. He kind of raised me um, watching a lot of Steelers games and stuff. So I was kind of pumped about the move. I was excited. Um, in third grade, you're what, like nine? Yeah. I think I had turned nine in third grade. So, yeah, I was nine yeah. when we moved. Yeah. So I think it was an exciting move for me. Um, and your sister was like 13. Roughly. Yeah, seventh grade. That yeah. perfect. That's a rough age. time to move. It, yeah. I remember my parents broke the news to us at the dinner table and she just broke down crying. Yeah. And my reaction was like, oh, sweet. Okay. Well, yeah. Sounds like a fun city. Um, <laughs> so she was real upset and we moved. And that's kind of where I tell people I grew up. I tell people I grew up in Pittsburgh because we moved there when I was nine. We moved away when I was about 15. So that's kind of my formative years. Yeah where I grew up. But that's such a weird thing though, too. Like you have to like kind of pick one, you know? Yeah. When people ask me where I'm from, I'm always like, I feel like I have to give them this large like explanation. You know, I was born, I was, I was born in Panama, raised in Guatemala until I was 12, lived in Louisiana, moved to Louisiana, been in New Orleans 10, 11 years. It's like, yeah. So I got to give that whole spiel because yep. I can't just say I'm from Guatemala because mm -hmm. I'm not really. Yeah. I mean, I've been here since I was 12. So it's like, I feel like I'm, Amer I'm American. You yep. know, I'm from Louisiana basically. Yeah. It's yeah. very, I understand that conundrum. Well, <laughs> uh, I can relate. I usually when people ask where I'm from, I either say like, I don't know, like, uh, honestly, I don't like, I'm not really from anywhere. I've kind of, I just, Usually I'll give the brief response of I've just moved around a lot, like mainly Pittsburgh, moved here from Charleston. Usually they don't care enough to listen to my whole spiel. Yeah. Like I was born in Indiana. Then yeah, but you feel like you have to give that explanation. I never, it, never, it never occurs to me that people really don't want to hear all that. Yeah, know? they they don't care yeah. to listen to all that. So sometimes I'll be like, well, how much time do you have? Um, but yeah, it's really tough. So, yeah. so um, that was hard for a variety of reasons because i'm sure you can relate i don't feel i feel disconnected mm. geographically because i don't have like that home base um you know i tell people i'm from pittsburgh and then they're like oh do you like go back often to see family and i, I don't have any family there anymore so no i don't mm -hmm. um they're kind of spread out all over the place now so so that was hard going through the process as i got older because you know you got to make new friends got to settle down in new cities. Um, so that's really tough. So yeah, I'm probably burning a lot of time here. I'll kind of fast forward. So 
yeah, when we were in Pittsburgh, shit really hit the fan with my family and myself, really. Um, not that any of those situations with my family made me an alcoholic, but I definitely used it as an excuse, I think. So to provide a backstory, um, my parents split up and it was a really dramatic, ugly divorce. Um, my dad cheated on my mom, which of course he didn't admit that at the time, but it definitely happened. Um, yeah, so that happened. My mom's drinking really flew off the handles and not just her drinking. She kind of just her, you know, as I'm sure you and other alcoholics maybe listening can relate. She just, you know, flew off the handles, like whether she was drunk or not, she just kind of went off the deep end, did not handle that divorce. Well, mm. um, you know, I just remember loud screaming matches that my sister would have to go and kind of like break up. Yeah. They, they would have real dramatic, uh, arguments and borderline like physical fights in front of like my friends that would have, that would have over to like come play with my toys, <laughs> you know? Um, so things like that, it got real nasty and yeah, it was, it was just kind of an unpleasant house to, to be in. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, as I was kind of growing up a little bit through middle school, that's when, you know, I, I started becoming the person that I am, you know, I started growing up. So the insecurities started coming up, you know, the desire to be just accepted and the desire to be seen as kind of a cool kid. So that resulted in, you know, just again, kind of getting in trouble for being a class clown, always just saying inappropriate stuff in the middle of class just to get a laugh out of people. Yeah. Um, and my friends, of course, thought it was funny. Most people in the classroom did not. So, you know, I started getting suspended from school because I would just say inappropriate sexual related jokes, usually to, to girls that would not find it so funny. Um, and my mom um, event left us. She said, you know, I can't be in, you know, I just got to get away. I, I, I want to move to Florida. Are you guys in? Um, she kind of went through a little crisis really through the divorce and just wanted out of Pittsburgh because that's where my dad grew up. So that was, she viewed that as kind of his city. Um, we lived in a really small town where kind of everybody knew each, a small suburb, everyone knew each other. So just a lot of gossip with, you know, him banging other women, you know, a lot of people talking. So my mom just wanted to get out. So I remember she said like, Hey, I want to move to Florida. Do you guys want to come? And as a I don't know, 11, 12 year old thought of Florida sounded really cool. So at first I was like, yeah, I, I could be in. That sounds good. Um, but then when it started getting more serious, me and my sister both came to her and said, look, like we actually, this is our home. We'd rather not move. And she said, well, I'm going see you later. Mm. So my dad was working in Cleveland then, and which was only an hour and a half away from Pittsburgh. So pretty close. And we basically had to beg him like, dad, we don't want to move. Please like, take us in. Um, cause he had his own apartment in Cleveland where he was working. So he did, he moved back to Pittsburgh and just commuted every day wow. just to kind of keep us where we wanted to be. Um, which was great for my 
alcoholism and, yeah. you know, um, really, I guess, getting introduced to substances, which I ended up really enjoying. Um, so what happened was we were living in this house and my dad was commuting back and forth from Cleveland and, and traveling a lot. So it was really just the two of us in this house. And he would hire like babysitters, you know, some sort of like authority figure to kind of watch over us. Um, and, you know, I guess keep us accountable. But <laughs> this classic classic Marty, my dad, he would just hire like really young hot chicks to, to, <laughs> to watch us. So they would be like, you know, a couple years older than my sister. And most of them would just want to party with us. Yeah. And my sister would invite over, she's in high school at the time. She'd invite over her like boyfriends and his friends. And you know, just, it was a party house basically. Yeah. And they thought it was so fun to like, Sounds get, awesome. She, yeah, <laughs> it was great. And they, her friends thought it was so fun to get me fucked up. Um, you know, get the little kid uh, fucked up on weed and booze. They thought it was hilarious and I loved it. Um, so that's, you know, I, I don't, those were really fun times. How um, long did that go on for? Ah, oh, man. It was a couple years, I think. So seventh grade is when really all that went down. So it was like seventh and eighth grade. So mm. middle school age, I was getting in trouble constantly. Again, I, you know, I was getting suspended from school. I, you know, was seventh grade was tough. I dated, started dating an eighth grader, which was real big, uh, you know. Um, so started dating this eighth grader. It was like the first love, <clears throat> you know, first girl I kind of like hooked up with. And so that took up all kind of all my time and energy. And, you know, that's when I really started getting in trouble. Um, got suspended. My dad would try to kind of, fix me through discipline and, and fear really as a dad does. Um, you know, I, I remember, I think I was grounded through that entire seventh grade year. Um, and that's when I discovered, uh, not so much alcohol cause it's hard getting your hands on booze regularly as a seventh grader, but it definitely started smoking weed a lot. Mm. And I remember clear as day, the first time I got like real high and I don't even think I really enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed this, the, I kind of liked feeling different and I certainly liked letting everybody else know that I was high. Oh, yeah. I'm so high y'all. Cause Those I want lights look freaky. Yep. Cause I wanted everybody to know how cool I was. <laughs> so I think it was more so the image that I thought I was projecting. That's what I really liked. But honestly, I don't think I ever really liked the feeling that we gave me. Like I, I felt yeah. like always tired, super awkward, anxious. Um, like it would get me anxious. Yeah. I guess super anxious. Yeah. If I was drinking, I loved it because it made me like think like, like I just like the way it made me think. Yep. yep. But like, but if I was stone cold sober and I smoked weed, I just, I'd get in my head. I'd get just mm -hmm. paranoid. People would hate me. Oh yeah. Did I just say something stupid? Oh my God. They're just, thinking about what I just said, mm -hmm. you know, and I obsess about that. Like that's me on weed. I'm, oh, like, yeah. I'm, I'm horrible on weed. Yep. Yep. I don't, I didn't get so much of the anxiety at that time, at that age. I don't know. I just wasn't, yeah. that was more adulthood getting high for sure. I'd freak out every social setting and be like, Oh my God, that was a like horrible <laughs> performance on my part. I killed the vibes in that room. <laughs> Like all my insecurities would just come God, like screaming in my head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, and I even said to my, because of course I had a buddy, um, mm. my buddy Paul, who we would always get in trouble with, you know, we were kind of like two, 
we would bring out the worst in each other. We were always getting in trouble together. I remember he said like he loved weed like right off the bat. And I was like, I don't even really think I like it. But yet I continued smoking weed any chance I could get just because I don't know. I go back to anything that makes me feel different really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's when seventh middle school is a shit show. Um, let's see. I lost my train of thought. But I, you know, I was, I was still able to manage it. I remember, so seventh grade was real bad. In eighth grade, I kind of got my shit together. For I don't know what happened. Maybe it was the girlfriend of mine ended up going to high school th at that point. So maybe I had more uh, productive shit to focus on. But I remember eighth grade, I really got like good grades, kind of stopped getting in trouble for a little bit. And that's kind of the... Uh, my whole drinking career in a nutshell, like it was up and down, up and down a lot with kind of a constant trajectory downwards. Um, and then my dad got remarried and sh this new stepmom, Amy lived on the other side of Pittsburgh. So he got remarried and we moved into her house on the other side of town. At this point I'm in ninth grade, but I didn't want to switch schools because I think this was like the middle of the school year. So what I did was I would wake up in like basically the middle of the night and take the city bus across the city to my high school where kind of all my friends were and where I was established. And that's look in hindsight, that's where I realized I felt that being disconnected from, you know, cause I couldn't really hang out with my friends cause I had to go home on the other side of the city. So I couldn't really hang out with them outside of school. I played lacrosse in high school. So it was, you know, it's, it was like I couldn't take the team bus back to the school where, where all my teammates were going. I had to go home with my dad because it was kind of opposite directions. And, you know, it was just, just felt disconnected. And I think, well, I don't I can't speak for other people. I'll just speak for myself. You know, high school for me, it was like really that time where I wanted to fit in with the crowd. Like I wanted yeah. to be fit in with the cool kids and probably a lot of it was in my head. I think I, through that time, I did not particularly have a problem fitting in. I mean, I for sure was an awkward high school kid, but, um, I feel like I was generally well liked, but it just wasn't enough. Yeah. You know, I felt like something was missing and that was right around the time where I did start kind of getting my hands on liquor more regularly, whether it was stealing from the parents liquor cabinet, um, of course, I'm sure you had one of these. I had a, a friend who had kind of the weird mom who would buy booze for everyone. Mm, yeah. I feel like every, every <laughs> high school has got to have one of those kids. I was really responsible parents. Yeah. Mom or yeah. Oh yeah. Every high school has the kid with the cool parent that buys booze for everyone. <laughs> so I had one of those. So this guy, his mom would just literally buy liquor for us. Um, and I didn't, of course I thought it was kind of normal at the time, or I certainly thought it was cool, but I would just drink by myself. You know, I would also drink with people, but it usually was not a great performance on my part. I would usually vomit like right away. Like after the first beer, the first shot I was puking, and then everybody <laughs> would make fun of me. Um, and, but I don't know. I just felt a, a huge sense of comfort and a sense of connection just by sitting by myself in my room, getting, drinking Jack Daniels and just typing away on AOL instant messenger, you know, talking to my friends, talking to cute girls that I was too shy to talk to in person. Um, you know, I felt the power of like saying things that I wouldn't say sober, um, on the internet. 
And I don't know, I thought it was fun. And so then I had the bright idea of, I need to take this to school. Like I need to take this energy to school with <laughs> me and that will really help me fit in. Um, so I did that and I got caught. And that was, I, I, I typically bring this up in my story because that was just really the, where I can pinpoint like alcoholism for sure, like yeah. clear as day. And that was really the first warning sign when I got caught. Um, and you know, fast forwarding, I just, it, we then moved from Pittsburgh to Louisville, Kentucky with my dad. Cause he got a new job there and, and the marriage with the, his second wife, my stepmom lasted less than a year. So basically she kicked us out of the house, which mm -hmm. was a very dramatic event. Um, so we were, me and my dad were quite literally homeless for like a week and we moved and his job was in Louisville. So we moved, we had to like live in a Marriott residence in, in Louisville for a month or so, um, to kind of like establish ourselves, get our shit together. So it was like in a matter of days, I was ended up in a new high school in Louisville. Mm. So this was 10th grade. And, um, after that, and I always, wherever I moved from like starting in high school, I found new friends by through alcohol and drugs. Like that's how I connected with people. Yeah. Um, that, so yeah, I mean, that's what I did. I, I made friends quickly with the troublemakers and my dad would catch me all the time. I thought it was a bright idea to like smoke a bowl in my bedroom before school, like mm -hmm. before my dad drove me to school thinking like, ah, he won't smell this. Mm -hmm. Of course he does. There's a big fit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it was just a lot of that. And he had had enough. Um, so he then told me to verbatim said, you're going to move to, are we good? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're yeah. Good. I was just adjusting. He said, you're, you're going to have to move to Florida with your crazy mother, which he made me do. Um, so then junior, senior year was in Florida and that's really like the peak of my drug use. Cause you know, Florida, um, and living with my mom is real unhealthy living situation, but you were know, you, so were you excited about going to Florida? No, or no, I don't know. Not really. I mean, at this point, I don't know if I was excited about anything. I was also not excited about Louisville, Kentucky. I don't remember being that upset about it. I think I was just going through the motions. Mm. I don't know. I think at that age, I wasn't. So that's, so you're what? At that point, you're like. 16, 16, 17. So you didn't last in Louisville very long then. No, nine months before my yeah. dad said, get the <laughs> fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. I think the one of the straws that broke the camels back there was I stole, I would start stealing his car in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um, you know, he'd go to sleep, take the keys, go for a joy ride. And I didn't, I couldn't drive for the shit. So I did that one night and I got pulled over just cause, and I think I may have been a little high. I don't think I was, I think I was actually completely sober. Um, I dropped a friend off and I just couldn't drive. So I like made a, a right hand turn, not well, and like veered into the other lane and there was an oncoming car. So I had to like jerk the steering wheel back real quick to get into my lane. Sure enough, it was a cop. Yeah. So of course, so I see him like whip around in the back and I was fucked. So he pulls me over and I told him I didn't have a license. So at that point I had to call my dad tell him I stole his car and got pulled over. So it was things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Florida was crazy. Just, Sons of drugs, alcohol, uh, got arrested for having beer in, in my buddy's car. You know, kind of one of those deals where I claimed it when we got pulled over. Um, so I was put on probation and failed my drug test. Like, I was not 
doing well, flunking all my classes. And my mom sent me to rehab because she drug tested me and basically failed for everything. And that was the first introduction to like sobriety to AA, um, talking about lifetime of sobriety. And I thought, absolutely not. I didn't say that in rehab. I said, yeah, for sure. I'm going to stay sober. Absolutely. Just get me out of here. Um, but that did not stick at all. Um, and then through that process, my mom then got remarried and moved to Virginia with the new husband. And she left my ass in Florida. She said, I'm, I'm out of here, you know, see you later. So I was then homeless in Florida for like a week, just partying. And I, I kind of loved it. Um, and this is still in high school or this was like summertime after high school, Okay, which I was a credit short. I was one class short of actually graduating. So they let me walk, but I did not technically, I didn't graduate my high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get a diploma cause I flunked senior English, but this is yes. Like summertime, no responsibilities, no job. Um, I was just partying with my friends in Florida. So I told my dad this. I was like, hey, mom just left. She just now lives in Virginia. I'm stuck in Florida. So he bought me a one-way plane ticket to Charlotte where then he was then living at that time and brought, you know, allowed me to move in with him in Charlotte. And it was really kind of the same as the middle school years that I described. He traveled a lot and I got a job at Red Robin actually waiting tables. Mm-hmm. Um there in Charlotte and then, you know, typical restaurant industry made friends with people that partied. And when we were on 18, 19, every time he traveled, I would announce to the world that my dad was out of town. I have an empty house. Let's, let's, let's rage. <laughs> and we would just have parties and destroy that house. I was, I, yeah, my dad was put through the ringer with me. And one night in particular that again, I, frequently tell my story. Those rather dramatic was we had a dog that we got in Pittsburgh. So it was kind of a dog that I grew up with a beautiful great Pyrenees named Lulu. Um, and he, I threw a party there one night. I don't know what I was thinking. Obviously I really wasn't, but I got real drunk and let Lulu out to go piss just thinking like I'll let her back in as soon as she's done. But then you know, I just let her out and basically never let her back in. And we didn't even, there was, it was like an apartment complex. It wasn't even like a fence in backyard. <clears throat> so I don't know what I was thinking. I think I just thought I'll, you know, I'll let her out for five seconds. She won't go anywhere. So I just like kept on partying and for sure blacked out. And I remember like waking up on the couch the next day and immediately thinking, fuck, where's Lulu? Where's the dog? And, you know, I ran around, did what people do when they lose the dog, ran around, yelled her name a bunch of times. Long story short, I finally got a hold of the like the cops or the animal control, and they said they s- described the dog, you know, to a T. I said, "Yeah, yeah, the story, the story. Do you ever?" They said, "I'm sorry, she was p- hit by a car on the highway. She's dead." Oh man. Yeah. So that was that crushed me, obviously. And then I had to call my dad and tell him. I uh, I did lie at the time. I did not say it was because I threw a party and got drunk. I just said I can't remember what I said. Like, I don't know. I just went to bed. The door was open and she must have got out in the middle of the night. I don't know. Um, but that's just, you know, an example of what I put this poor man through. Wow. Did you ever come clean about that? I, it's a great question. I no, Technically, no. I did not give him the details. When I made amends to him, I just said, you know, I, I 
alluded to the fact that I did some fucked up shit and that yeah. I was not an easy son to raise. Um, and he knew, you know, he definitely knew through conversations with my sister. Yeah. He definitely knew, but I just said like, and I did bring up that specific event as a fucked up thing that happened. Um, and we talked about it. And how long had he had Lulu? That's just so sad. That happened to us too. Um, to, uh, yeah, there's your timer. I You're know. not even I'll, into adulthood yet. I know. You're, I do this every day. <laughs> <laughs> You're like slightly into adulthood. You're like 18, 19. No. Yeah. We had a dog too that, that happened to him and, uh, it was sad. It was she was a little chihuahua. Her name was Lola. Very similar. Very to similar. Yeah. Wow. Same. Do you got drunk? Well, it wasn't. It, it was my brother that did it. Ah. And we were living together, but at this time I was a mess too. But yeah. I would get upset with him because he would just let her out to use the bathroom and then call her back in. And we lived in front of a very busy. Uh, and I would say, dude, you need to like watch her. Mm. Uh, and he'd be like, oh, she ain't gonna run the street. She knows better. Yep. And I get back one day and he's doing calling her name mm. and he's looking and he refuses to go by the highway. And I'm like, so I go check by the highway. She's a little dog. So sure enough, there she was. But oh. It was really sad. Yeah. Oh, it was. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, I didn't see her. Um, that would have been really bad. But yeah, it, that was certainly a low point of my drinking. And so I'll speed it up. Um, you know. I, drink partying and drinking was mostly fun. So it, just so you know, you got about 15 minutes before we have to stop. So. Okay. All right. I can, I can roll with 15 minutes. Um, you know, yeah, at that time, clearly issues were arising. Mm. Um, unmanageability was certainly propping up, but you know, it, overall it was still kind of fun, you know? I'm just, I like your shoes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Getting compliments on my shoes are probably my favorite thing ever. Yeah, those are interesting shoelaces. Do they come like that or did that happen by They came like them? that. It's supposed to look like a pelican. They're actually, they were designed by the place, by the sneaker shop in the quarter. Oh. What is it called? Politics? Nice. They're yeah, sick. so it's like a New Orleans uh, uh, original. That's not the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyways, cool. thank you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, unmanageable, but still fun. You know, I didn't have that hopelessness really. Um, that eventually arose. You know, I still, I don't know, just drank through my problems. Really. Um, dad kicked me out of the house several times throughout that. And I would just find like a friend that, you know, I was the guy on the couch. I would just find a friend to let me crash there until my dad let me back in. Um, and working in restaurant jobs, you know, just having fun. And at that point I did get my high school diploma. I, you know, I took like a high school English class and just got a diploma and started taking community college classes. So I was kind of getting my shit together. Um, you know, kind of managing through the, the partying and the chaos. Um, but I was definitely black. Didn't know this at the time. This is all hindsight, but you know, progressing into more frequent blackouts. Um, the thing was they weren't like shameful blackouts though. It was more of those early on blackouts where you just talk about like how, like how funny it was. Yeah. Like, dude, you should have seen you, bro. You kept like saying whatever. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Or like girls be like, dude, you were so funny last night. Uh, I'd be like, Oh hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so things like that, you know, it was just, it yeah. was, I was having fun. Um, yeah. Causing a lot of pain with my family, but 
you know, I, I didn't really, not to say I didn't care, but just that self-centeredness. It was like, whatever, dad's a dick. You know, he doesn't get me. Um, and so, yeah. Um, and that's where I got like my first long-term girlfriend in living in Charlotte, waiting tables, just, you know, um, taking classes at community college and things were fun. I still didn't, I never did get a driver's license because I skipped over a real big part of the story was I got my first DUI when I was 19, my 19th birthday, actually visiting friends from Florida. I went back to Florida, visit old high school friends, got hammered on my birthday, somehow ended up behind the wheel of a car and got arrested. And that was like my first really like spiritual personal low point was sitting in jail. And that was like, fuck, I'm in like big boy jail. Cause I'd been arrested, but it was, you know, like sitting a holding cell for a night and kind of yeah. get, get yelled at by mom the next day. But I found myself sitting in like in a jumpsuit in jail. And what happened was I was fucking drunk, obviously. And the guy comes up to me and was like, Hey, are you uh, thinking about hurting yourself? And I said, yeah, man, yeah, <laughs> I am. I am thinking, I don't know. I was drunk. I don't know if I was really thinking, but I was like, maybe he'll like feel bad for me and like let me out or something. I don't know. Um, so I said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I really am. I'm really depressed. So they took all my clothes away as they do. Cause when you're a suicide risk, took all my clothes away and threw me in the like drunk tank. And I was just sitting there naked on, you know, <laughs> just like crying. <laughs> and there's another dude in there with me. So like another, like some old, you know, typical, you know, like an old guy. Um, sitting there with me also naked just like watching me cry naked like like to the like, i think they gave us no like butt ass naked but i think we had like blankets so i like could cover myself yeah, but still crazy. yeah just two, <sighs> two naked dudes one of them's who was me was crying really yeah. bad and that's a scary feeling the first time you're in like something like that you know yeah i yeah. remember i remember getting a dui in baton rouge and spending the night in I mean, I spent the night in the in in, uh, in the East Baton Rouge jail, um, and I was just with other people, but like I just remember like my stomach, just like feeling like I had to take a shit. Yep. But and like and it was a full cell and the toilets right there and I'm like, oh yeah, everyone like, can see you. <laughs> that was my biggest fear. I was like, God, oh, please, I hope they get me out of here before <laughs> I definitely have to shit. <laughs> Like that was my biggest concern was having to <laughs> shit in front of all these people. Oh yeah. <laughs> On that cold metal toilet. Yeah. Everyone can see you. God. And pissing everybody off. Cause I knew it was going to be disgusting. Oh yeah. You're just going to blow up <laughs> that whole jail cell. Anyways. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, can relate. And, but I remember thinking like this, like this is what my life is becoming. Like this is what partying brings me. Um, and I did have a legit thought of like, I need to stop this shit. I need to quit drinking. This is not working for me. And that thought went away within days, you know, just, I was like, Oh, I overreacted. Just not that bad. Um, and so, yeah, I backtracked there. So now moving forward, I still, I don't have a license like through early twenties just because like the DUI thing messed that up. Like I didn't, I blew such a high BAC that they made me go to like IOP outpatient, which I stopped going the second I got off probation. Cause I thought like I'm in the clear and, but I wasn't because little did I, I didn't even try to get my license. Cause I was like, I just enjoy like being able to like to drink a lot and not have to drive. <laughs> and I can't really afford a car. It's just not like I could just get around without a license or a car. 
Um, later when I actually try to get my license, they're like, oh no, it's still suspended because you didn't finish your IOP that you were supposed to do. Oh, that was gross. Um, so, uh, yeah. And through that, like when I turned 21, that obviously, you know, things really escalated there cause I can now go to the bar. Um, but started dating a, a, a girl who, you know, I fell in love with dated for five years and <clears throat> I think <clears throat> overall good relationship, but I, you know, she would <clears throat> start giving me shit about drinking, you know, kind of the typical, like if I got too drunk, she would start getting a little annoyed with me and then I would not react well to that. And, you know, what the fuck is your problem? Um, and I would say really kind of hurtful things like while I was drunk to her. So that was definitely causing relationship issues. And we s stuck together for a while. Um, <clears throat> ended up getting into uh, an actual university. Um, went to college in Wilmington, North Carolina. So went to UNCW, and she followed me there. <clears throat> and that's when <clears throat> things really started causing like issues. You know, like I would wake up from a, a blackout, like you know, eyes open, and it's like immediately shit. I don't know what happened last night. And I would like look over in bed, and you know, I just see the pissed off girlfriend looking at me and the first thing that she, she would say is you don't remember last night, do you? And I'd be like, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Of course I do. Um, <laughs> rolling through those, uh, alarms. I know. Fuck. <laughs> um, but yeah, so causing issues and eventually that we moved to Charleston together cause I got a job after college. So we moved to Charleston together that eventually that just, it became so terrible of a relationship that we just kind of broke off. You know, we just went our separate ways, let the lease run out in the apartment and we kind of both got our own places. Um, but I didn't do much self reflection there because I kind of found a girlfriend immediately after that. And it was just kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, don't have to change anything cause things aren't that bad for me. I can just kind of, you know, <clears throat> jump into a relationship with this new girl <clears throat> and Drinking also, <clears throat> frog in my throat, drinking also caused issues with her right off the bat. I remember there are a few, well, the first time we actually hooked up, I said the wrong name because I was real drunk. That didn't go over well, <laughs> but I was able to kind of, you know, she was younger and I was just like, eh, I just like to party and have a good time. Sorry. Things got a little out of hand. Um, but, and we were together for not long, about a year and a half, but that felt like the one, like she, we were, you know, we we're madly in love. This is, you know, you're the one I want to marry you, have kids, whatever. Um, <clears throat> and eventually she went through my phone one night and saw some not great things that I had texted other women in, you know, I want to say while drunk, but sometimes it was while sober. I just, my... I was not living a very good spiritual life and I was not respectful of that relationship. So, um, she kind of went through that and I was like, look, like we are done. This is not cool. And I, um, did not take that well, you know, not just because of that relationship being broken because of me, it was just because it was that repeated pattern of hurting people. And I was like, this is just who I am as a person. Like, this is just, you know, it's kind of, there's that moment where it's like, I couldn't look myself in the mirror because I'm just going to go around hurting people that I care about. And I don't, this is a pattern and I don't see how I can fix it. And I, I, that's when I really felt that hopelessness. Um, and I just hated who I had become. So 
what I did was I got drunk because I wanted to, at that point I just wanted to drink for oblivion. Like it wasn't fun. I just I wanted to not feel any of these feelings, and that's when I really stopped working. I would just get drunk, and I was just still miserable. And I I went and attempted oblivion one night and and tried driving home. You know I got pulled over. Uh, well, I didn't get pulled over. I was asleep at a red light and a cop woke me up and this is i guess you you had gotten your license back by this point yeah, yeah i had the license so mm-hmm. you know i was managing life i had a job um met the then that girlfriend i met we worked together so i, I you know i had a decent job had an apartment by myself you know life wasn't all that bad but yeah. i think my rock bottom was really just hurting people causing pain with others and not seeing any way out of it. You know, I just thought like this, this is the jackass that I've become. Um, and then I got the DUI and I'm back in jail again, not naked this time. I didn't, didn't threaten suicide, but and this was in the course of like a week. It was like break up <laughs> DUI within like within a business week. And, uh, I just think it's so f- like going back to that. I just think it's so funny. Like you were like, Oh yeah, I definitely want to hurt myself. <laughs> How that backfired on you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. That did not have the, uh, intended, uh, result that, that I wanted. So anyways, this time you didn't say it. No, yeah. So, you know, and this was certainly not my second time in jail. You know, I had gotten arrested frequently. It was mostly like smaller charges, like, you know, public drunkenness, stuff like that. They'd throw me in jail for a night, but it was that moment where I'm like, fuck, I like, I got a legit problem. You know, you can kind of make excuses for one DUI and say it was a, it was a young mistake, but two DUIs and another broken relationship, mainly because not, not because of drinking, but just because of being an asshole. Um, you know, I felt that hopelessness. I Mm. felt, you know, this, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. I cannot stand being in my own skin right now. I hate who I have become. And I don't know what to do. Like, I, I, I just don't know. Um, so luckily I, I got out of jail the next day. I got bailed out and, um, it's probably a good point to, to wrap up this portion. I just got home and I Googled like, Hey, just like Googled second DUI <laughs> send, <laughs> like send, send Google <laughs> just got second DUI. And all the results were like from like Reddit threads of other guys. Like, yeah, I just got my second DUI. I feel like I'm in a state of hell right now. It's like, yeah, yeah, I feel that. <laughs> and all the other like Reddit, like comments on that were like, dude, you probably have like an alcohol problem. You should probably go to a meeting. And I was like, shit, I probably should go to a meeting. And yeah, that was the moment where I thought this, I, like, I don't know what to do. I should probably get my ass up and go to an AA meeting. Yeah. All right, cool. We're going to take a quick break. Okay. Live? Oh, we're live now. See, now, see now that, I hear like, isn't a that weird? loud echo. That's so weird. Say something. Uh, something. Okay. Well, I don't know. Say something okay. again. Yeah. I mean, I can talk. It's not. It's going to sound different. It's not super distracting. It's yeah. definitely different. It is. I wonder what that's all about. All right. I don't know. Hello. Oh, well. 
Yeah, so that brought me to my first meeting. Um, super hopeless, super distraught over my breakup, and yeah, super distraught over my second DUI. Um, so I, yeah, so I went to a meeting. It was certainly not my first AA meeting, but it was my first meeting that I went to without the courts telling me or like an IOP telling me that like you have to go to this AA meeting. It was the first meeting I went to that was not mandated by somebody else. You know, um, I went and yeah, I was a miserable sack of shit really. And you know how uh, newcomers or, or people that talk in meetings saying how they were like so pissed off of, uh, people that were happy in meetings, like, you know, people yeah. come to three, like, am I allowed to say that? Yeah. People come to my home group all the time and like, you guys are so happy. Like I fucking yeah. hate you all. <laughs> so a lot of people, a lot of people are put off by how, how loud and, you know, and, uh, boisterous you guys are. A lot of people are, and I get it. Um, <laughs> I, now I love it, but yeah. it's funny. The first meeting I went to was nothing like that. It was nothing. It was not loud and boisterous, but just to give you a sense of where I was, like I was just sitting outside, um, not even smoking. Um, but just like sitting outside with my, like, you know, my head down, not wanting to talk to anybody, just miserable. And I remember people that were like sitting around me were just making small talk outside of the meeting about like, you know, it was a Sunday evening. So they were like talking about what they did that day. You know, like, like I, know, I folded laundry or I kind of cleaned up around the house. And I just remember thinking like, how, I don't know. Aren't these guys, isn't everybody in a miserable? Like how are these people just talking about like so freely about like what they did that day? How are they even doing like basic chores? Like I just, just not even like just being a basic serene human yeah. at an AE meeting, just that sounded foreign to me. I was yeah. like, I, everyone needs to be as miserable as I am. And it was a newcomer meeting. So they did allow me to share it was the format of the meeting was if you had over your sobriety, just state your sobriety date. And if you, um, have less than a year, just, you know, share, tell your story. So it was kind of different as you can imagine the shares, the shares were kind of all over the place. <laughs> and uh, so like the people with time never shared, they just say like at all, at any point in the meeting, I think, trying to remember i don't think so i think they said like if you have more than a year just say your name and sobriety date it was yeah. the type of deal where they would go they would just go around the room you know to everyone wow um they would just go around in order and you know either share or don't depending on your time so of course at the time like after my share i was like oh man that was fire <laughs> <laughs> dick jokes after dick jokes well not even that no i was out of jail for like hour you know with hours really <laughs> so it was just you know i was crying of course <laughs> and you know i kind of told a really abbreviated story of what i just said you know like i just got arrested you know i was asleep at the wheel of the car i ruined a relationship um hmm. and i remember hearing like audible gasps in the room and i was like oh wow i'm like really i'm spitting fire I'm right blowing now on their minds i am blowing their minds with my misery and <laughs> and i remember it was me and i think one other guy that picked up a in charleston we call them white chip we you know we call them white chips i feel like in new orleans it's more like desire chips or 24 hour chips. Either way, I picked up that first 24 hour chip 
And that at that point, the room did get loud and boisterous, you know, applause, cheers. And that was one of the most terrifying things that I think I've ever done. Um, it shouldn't be. I feel like it shouldn't be that terrifying, but it was for me because then that was like me making a commitment to this yeah. whole sobriety thing. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm, I'm, I'm in it now. I've like, I've committed. And, you know, I cried through the whole meeting. Um, I don't know. Well, I guess I do know why. I mean, life was miserable. But I don't know if it was like sadness or fear. Probably all of the above. Um, I think a lot of it was maybe overwhelming sense of hope because the I was surrounded by people at that meeting. Like, you know, a lot of it was just this typical shaking my hand, like keep coming back, you know. But some people, um, one guy in particular, this little um, little short guy from Boston, kind of your typical, typical guy from Boston, like, you know, uh, like gravelly voice, you know, s s saying fuck all the time. He was literally wearing a Red Sox shirt. Um, just your typical Bostonian. He like took me outside, looks me in the eyes. I can't remember what he said, but he just, I don't know, said something that gave me hope, you know, yeah. looks me in the eyes and something along the lines of like, you're going to be okay. Just, I know it sucks right now, but you're going to be fine. And that in itself isn't a groundbreaking thing to say to somebody, but I think that's really like that spiritual connection that we yeah. get with alcoholics. It was the fact that this, and he didn't tell me really any part of his story. I don't think, but man, but that feels, it feels warm and comforting and yeah. like reassuring, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. After like making like a, a, a decision to get a chip, like that does feel like a commitment, mm -hmm. you know? And like, it's like, yeah, if you do this, then you have to kind of stick with it. Mm -hmm. That fear yep. of not being able to stick with it, too, you know? Yeah. Being like, I'm just going to fuck this up. Yep. Yep. Because yeah. it was shortly before that, right when I got out of jail, it was that morning. I got out of jail. I called my dad because who bailed me out was my girlfriend. Well, kind of, kind of ex-girlfriend then. But my girlfriend bailed me out. And along with another woman that we worked with, who was a mutual friend of ours, they kind of, you know, they got me out of jail. And through that process, they called my dad and told him like, Hey, Drew got arrested, another DUI. So when they told me that I was like, Oh fuck. So I called him and we were both crying. You know, he s said, basically you got yourself in a real pickle. <clears throat> I'll be here to support you any way that I can as a, as a dad, you know, I'll be here to support you emotionally, um, and for guidance, but I'm not giving you a penny. Like you, I've given you enough money. You figure this out. And he said, I, he said, honestly, Drew, if you have another glass of wine for the, at any point in the rest of your life, that's the stupidest thing you could do. He <laughs> said, just look at your track record. Like proof is in the pudding. You, you can't drink. Um, he's not an alcoholic at all. So he doesn't like deeply understand the disease, but he understood enough to say like, that doesn't, that doesn't make you a bad person. Like you've yeah. done shitty things for sure, but that doesn't mean something's wrong with you. Um, you just, you can't drink like normal people. You just can't, you've tried forever and it clearly doesn't work. Yeah. And, um, and he was like, I think you need to like start seeing a counselor. And I mentioned, I, and I told him and this, an example of how he just doesn't understand. 
I said, no, I think we can go to an AA meeting tonight. He goes, oh, no. He said, that's <laughs> going to be a, like a rude awakening for you. You're going to see some real weird people in there. Uh, and I was like, I, I don't know. I'm going to try it out. We'll see what happens. It's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing he didn't steer you away, huh? Yeah. Yeah. He thought, you know, he just didn't understand. He thought it would yeah. be like a bunch of miserable, homeless men. Yeah. Well, my dad, my dad told me he thought I was an alcoholic when I was 19. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, he didn't say go to a meeting. He didn't say not go to a meeting, but he was like, hey, I think you might be an alcoholic. Yep. I remember I was going through this really rough patch. And uh, and that moment always stuck out to me, you know, mm-hmm. for, I guess maybe you a father telling you like, hey, you're fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> like stuck out with me. I was like, what? Nah, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. Uh, I mean, my dad tried. Yeah. He essentially called me an alcoholic. Um I feel like he more so used the term fuck up than an alcoholic, but either way he tried like getting me sober. He tried fixing me for a while and it stuck for sure. Like it definitely struck a chord. Um, but I, you know, I, I just, I was like, you don't get me. You don't understand. Like, you know, you, you're just being a wet blanket. Like just let me party. And this also resonated with me. He said, I think it was probably th- through the process of the first DUI, he said, Drew, a time's going to come where you're going to find yourself in a situation where I won't be able to help you. Like you're, you're going to be in a really shitty situation, whether it's likely jail. He said, you're going to do something where you'll be helpless. I'll be unable to help you. Um, and at the time I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, but I think that's, that's what I felt sitting in, you know, at my rock bottom that led me to that meeting was I felt like I'm, I'm helpless and mm. you know, of course. And I was on the inside, I was broken, but also I was like, fuck, I might have to do serious jail time with second DUI. That could be like a year. So that's when I, I had that thought. I was like, fuck, this is what he was talking about. Hmm. Um, but anyways, yeah. So I, I guess I felt comforted at that meeting. Cause I was met at least on the outside. I met a lot of normal people, you know, they, they were, bathed and clean and dressed. Um, you know, not at all what I think what normal people think of when they think like alcoholics or a meeting, it was all kind of seemingly normal people. And they looked me in the eyes and they told me like, everything's going to be okay. And I felt a a lot of comfort, which I think brought up also a lot of just emotions. So I just bawled my eyes out the whole meeting. Um, and I, don't, th- I mean, certainly I know for a fact, long-term sobriety did not set like that wasn't my goal. I guess it was kind of, but I wasn't like, fuck yeah, I'm going to be sober <laughs> forever. Um, I was not like, I can't wait to get five years. It, <laughs> it was much more short sighted than that. It was just, it was honestly, really, I think it was just me trying to fix the situation with the girl. That was my main concern. Mm. Cause she got me out of jail. She took, she actually took me and sat with me f- through that whole first meeting and was really supportive like through the whole thing i remember she got me like a little diary that i still have with like a little love note on the first page of like here you go this will help get you through early sobriety just write all your thoughts down so i had the thought i was like fuck yeah the dui is the best thing that ever happened to me i Uh, saved the relationship (laughs) (laughs) and and i think it was a lot of that it was just like i need to get my shit back you know um so it's like i need to save things with her i need to uh, certainly a motive was fixing my legal situation. I was like, Oh yeah, if I can roll up to court showing all my chips, that will 
help get me out of this. Um, you know, I, I had a job where I had to go in the next day after picking up my 24 hour chip. And I had to tell him like, look, I got arrested over the weekend. Um, so I, you know, I showed him my chip. I was like, but not to worry. I'm sober now. Luckily I, I did not get fired, but they were definitely not happy with me. Um, so it was kind of those things. It was very short sighted. Like a, like if I start going to a and telling people that I'm going like, I'll kind of manage the situation. Um, and I knew what to do. So, and I guess they're, you know, Maybe shitty motives. I don't know. They certainly weren't too spiritual in nature, but whatever. That kept me c- coming back. Yeah. Um, and I, I did have a motivation to do it right. You know, I feel like I was just... Because I was beaten down so much and I was so hopeless, <clears throat> I just had a motivation to, like, do the shit. So I called that dude from Boston the next day and asked him to be my sponsor. Um, he said yes, absolutely, and start going to 90 meetings in 90 days. And my first thought was, oh man, that is just super overwhelming. Um, like they really want me to like do this. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I did, you know, I, I went to meetings every day. Um, and it was, it was a whirlwind of emotions, you know, a part, there were some nice things. I <clears throat> really liked how people would like recognize me, like, People that I would randomly meet at one meeting would see me the next day and be like, hey, Drew, what's going on, man? And that made me feel really good. A lot of it was just resentment and I guess fear of just being sober. You know, particularly that was exacerbated when my sponsor would say things like, you know, you got to get like phone numbers of these meetings and call these guys every day. Um, things like that. It was just so overwhelming that like, of like diving into this thing. It was like, fuck, I'm one of these people now. Um, <laughs> you know, like I, I guess part of it was just the thought of being sober forever was terrifying. Um, and also honestly, I just thought being sober in a God based program was kind of the lamest shit I had ever heard, you know? Yeah. Sounds very lame. <laughs> yeah. Like face value. Yeah. Sure. It's, it sounded like the lamest shit ever. So when he kept telling these things that made me like get more involved in it, like calling guys every day, going to a meeting every day, you got to read this book with me like once a week. I was like, Oh man, like I really have to devote my entire life to this shit. Like this, this is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just want like my girl back into like legal situation to like, can I just kind of do this AA stuff on the side? Um, and throughout that, the girl, um, did leave me eventually cause I was crazy. I was manipulative. I was a total nutcase and we worked together. So like during the work day, I'd be, I'd be like, honey, can we talk? Can we like try to like, fix things like I'm sober now like we should be good and she's like no we're not good (laughs) um and here are the reasons why and it just became so bad that she basically said uh we're done like don't ever talk to me again and she ended up just quitting and moving her parents were in Cincinnati so she just left like left the state and that was one of the things where it was like oh I, I will never be able to like stay like live through this and I went to my sponsor's house maybe like our first second time meeting and I was I was expecting him to tell me how to get the girl back or at the very least just validate me enough to make me feel good. 
And he just opened up the big book and said, we're on page one. We're going to start reading about alcoholism. And I was like, no, that's not my problem. Mm -hmm. My problem is this girl that doesn't want to be with me. But then he started reading things that really resonated. Things like, you know, I'm going to paraphrase out of the big book, but you know, things like how, how life is right now is exactly how it's supposed to be. Are we good with the audio? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know, he read the part of the big book where it was like, things are exactly as they should be. Something along those lines. And I was like, wow, that, wow, that really struck a chord. Everything is how it's supposed to be. So he'd read things out of the book that really resonated with me. And, and that's when I think I kind of started to get it. And, you know, we just started doing the steps. Um, I think what really helped me the most early on was just relating to people. Cause I came in so sick and broken I thought I was, I, well, this is true, but I was like, I have problems way beyond alcohol, which that's the, the true part. But I was like, I have problems that AA can't really fix. And that these, like, I'm sicker than everybody else. Yeah. Like, it's not, am I just crazy? Like alcohol definitely brought problems, but am I really an alcoholic? Am I just a, a like a sociopath? <laughs> um, like, do I, do I need to do other things to fix other deep seated problems? And, but then when I would hear people tell their story and talk about those other issues and talk about the way that they felt and the struggles that they had, like getting sober and stuff, that's the shit that I was like, oh, he or she has what I have. Yeah. So I am in the right place. Like this is, this is where it's I need sociopaths to Sociopaths anonymous. Ex- pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I wasn't not a sociopath. <laughs> Um, but that's when, like, I heard myself and other people's stories and then they would, you know, talk about how it was and then what it's like now. And they would say things like, I lived the life, a life beyond my wildest dreams. And like, here's the shit that I do. And that's when I was like, I can do that too. You know, that's, and that's like kind of what lit the fire in me. It was like, I can relate to our illness or our disease on a, on a deep level. And now I trust the solution that you just laid out. And that's when I like became amped to be an AA. Um, I was on that pink cloud for probably the first year. Um, and I was just super pumped about life and super pumped to be sober. And, um, you know, through that, we were doing the steps. I definitely was, I don't know, not a believer, I guess, of the whole God situation. Um, and but you know, that first, uh, again, I was so hopeless and beaten that it did. I was beaten into a state of open-mindedness, you know? Yeah. I was not judgmental at all. I, I, yeah, I definitely wasn't judgmental. I thought, all right, yeah, I could get down with this, but I just didn't think it would work. I'd be like, mm, okay, I'm going to pray and my life is gonna, all of a sudden going to become magical. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I was, but we read out of the 12 and 12 in the big book, like, just be willing, just just be willing to say it might not be bullshit and good things will happen basically. Yeah. So I said, oh, all right, cool. I'll do that. And like magical things did start happening. Um, I have trouble now pinpointing specific things, but just like a new outlook on life. Like I feel like relationships and connecting with others just felt more natural. Like life just kind of flowed and fell into place a lot better. Um, and what do you think that's from? I don't know. Um, you know, just God, really. Yeah. I, I mean, there's spiritual experience. Yeah, I, I, I think like sometimes when I, when I, think of like like God and 
you know, asking God for help or whatever it is, I always think like things do kind of fall into place, like you said, but I think it's more me not interfering than anything else, mm. really. Yep. You know, it's like there's like a there is like a flow of things. And then as long as I'm not trying to like change everything to like the way I want it to, it's like, okay, and then things kind of just work out better if I'm not meddling. Yeah. You know? 100%. And like, I think like that's like turning your will and your life over to God's almost just like, okay, just stop interfering with everything and just do what you, what's in front of you. Yeah. You know? Stop fucking shit up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of just like getting out, get out of the way, just let life unfold. Um, I think a lot of it was connecting with others. Like I had that sense, maybe, maybe not for the first time, but for the first time in a long time, like I'd found my people mm. definitely for the first time on that deep of a level for sure. Um, you know, so that I think brought a sense of ease and comfort that kind of, that alcohol did, but, and I was able to kind of carry that into the other facets of my life, which just improved everything, improved my, improved my work performance, improved just my outlook on life and my connections with other people where they're, whether they're alcoholic or not, like things got really good. Um, yeah. So let's see. Ugh. Early sobriety was, you know, it had its struggles, I guess. There was a lot of things like, you know, I made friends with some newcomers that were veterans that were living at this, like, veterans. It wasn't technically an Oxford house, but it was like a you know, halfway house where veterans in recovery can stay. So I made friends with them, and they were much older, and... You know, I guess I'll admit I had some judgment on my part. So I would have those moments early on where I'm like hanging out with these like newly sober dudes. And it's like, really, this is what my life has become. We're going to a meetings, hanging out with, you know, these 50 year old veterans, not to be judgmental, <laughs> but that's just, you know, the kind of the thought that I had. And of course I was comparing to the girlfriend who just broke up with me. She's out partying with all of her hot friends and I'm like okay let's she definitely won this breakup you know this is the <laughs> life this is what my life has become um but once I got past that I like I really I formed relationships with these guys and really enjoyed like picking them up and taking them to dinner or go shoot pool or you know see movies you know so I started the judgment started fizzling away and I could connect with other men that I would not have hung out with otherwise um, you know, like they were the, this particular guy, Cal, that I hung out with a lot. Like he was, he smoked crack. I never smoked crack. <laughs> so like for me, if I was drunk, I'd be like, dude, no, I'm like, get away from me, you know, crack smoker. But, <laughs> but we like formed a relationship and I really enjoyed his company. So, and so like eventually through, it wasn't always easy, but eventually I kind of fell in love with AA and the people in it. Um, you know, and going through the steps, I started, you know, I had like fourth and fifth were super uh, eye-opening, I guess, transformative, um, you know, because I had a lot of shame. I didn't think it at the time, but after, once Penn hit the paper, I, I realized I had a lot of resentments. Yeah. And, you know, I it just helped helps me realize that not everything I did was okay because it wasn't, but it made me realize that it doesn't make me a 
Sorry Hello. about that. You're good. I'm having like this chords making noise. All right, keep going. Yeah, so fourth and fifth step. Um, you know, I, I guess it was the most powerful experience to let out all my fears and the harms that I had done other people and, and also my resentments and just allow me to feel that that I'm okay. You know, the thing, the things that I did were not always okay, but it made me feel that I'm not a, as broken as I think I am, hmm. you know, cause I like to judge, I like to compare my insides to everybody's outsides. And to me, I feel like everybody else besides me is perfect. Like I, I feel like <laughs> nobody looks as uncomfortable as I feel. So when I could unload all my shit to my sponsor who I looked up to and felt like he was really upstanding citizen, he would say things back to me that were even more shocking <laughs> than the stuff that I had done or, you know, the most powerful thing I ever heard in sobriety to this day really was just like, yeah, me too. Mm. Like, really? We all feel that way. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> well, and it, it just made me feel that like, I'm okay. Yeah. You know, I, I did shitty things, but that's, that's okay. I can move through life and not hating myself. Yeah. And, and so it allowed me to accept myself and allowed me to accept other people. Cause we went through the resentments with like, with my mom leaving me with my dad, making me move all the time. Cause I feel like he did that specifically to ruin my life <laughs> and just things that were like, so not even like profound feedback, just stuff like they did the best they could. Like you weren't a peach yourself to raise. Like, yeah. like, why don't you try having a kid? See how that works out. Yeah, that that <laughs> that insight of like your parents are human too, and they make mistakes, and like that, like that, like it's clear and obvious. But like that was one of my biggest realizations, like mm-hmm. that I was holding them to this like unrealistic standard, and that like yep. perhaps they were human and just stumbling through life just the way I was at the time. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Or the way that I'm still stumbling through yeah. life, you know? So, yeah. yeah, I guess it made me realize I expect perfection from everyone, mm. especially if it affects me. Like, I... Uh, unrealistic expectations, just like you said. So, like, feedback like that, I was like, wow, you're right. I never thought of that. Like, because it was all me. It was yeah. all, how are, how are your actions affecting me? You know, fuck your struggles or your... Um, yeah, fuck your struggles. It's affecting me. So that, you know, now I'm pissed. So then like that all washed away and it was, that was a really profound spiritual experience. And, you know, went through the steps, made amends to my dad. That was probably the most powerful one that I've made given our relationship that we had. Cause we were, it wasn't like he wasn't talking to me. He, he definitely was. So it wasn't that type of amends, but there was definitely some deep, resentment and awkwardness there you know it's like we couldn't truly like have i don't want to say couldn't truly have a loving connection because of course we love each other but you know something like was off yeah through there was a barrier yeah yeah something was off because i would kind of like he would tell me i was an alcoholic and try to fix me and then i would kind of get my shit together for years and be like ha showed you like i'm still drinking i'm fine (laughs) so and we were like good through those periods but still something, yeah, something was off. So we made amends just to kind of unload that shit. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, the, the Lulu came up, um, you know, just throwing parties at his house all the time. Just, you know, completely selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate of him. And 
his belongings and you know we we had a really good conversation you know he just said he's proud of me um and that you know fucked up things happened but you know it's it's okay you know mm -hmm. um so that that was really powerful i made one to my tried making one to my mom that was a little more uncomfortable she kind of like didn't want to hear it <clears throat> the second I tried like talking about stuff, she would just kind of like look the other way. Didn't want to like really acknowledge that I was speaking and kind of just did the, like, everything's fine. Like just shut up, stop talking. Mm. And I've noticed she was, has always been real uncomfortable about my recovery. Yeah. Because I guess that shines a light maybe on her issues or maybe I think. She, and she's never attempted to get sober. Not that I know of. No. Yeah. I don't really talk to her too much nowadays, but um, yeah, I know she was, has been uncomfortable about it. Um, yeah. I think she probably enjoyed drinking with me to an extent. That might be one of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that was real uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, with the girlfriend, that's probably the biggest one that still, I don't want to say keeps me awake at night. I usually don't have problems sleeping. But, you know, that's definitely in the back of my mind. Like, she'll show up my dreams frequently. It's just that, like, never got that closure of yeah. just being like, hey, are we good now? We never got that. Cause she made clear, don't ever contact me again. So that amends is just changing my behavior, um, which is probably the, the biggest one uh, for me to keep making, you know, yeah. through life. Um, and it's, it's a good reminder. You know, that's one regret that I have is just how that ended. But I'm also grateful for it to an extent because that's what kind of, I mean, it's definitely what drove me to get sober. And also it's a good reminder of uh, just doing the work. Yeah. Staying sober, you know. Um, so, so, yeah. So those were the steps. Had a great, had profound spiritual awakening. And then I was voluntold to do service work. Definitely not, I mean, way before I got to the 12th step. But, you know, I was told, hey, here are the keys to the church. Show up an hour early, start making coffee start taking meetings to these treatment centers, which I did. And um, also, just to be super candid, I definitely banged my way through early sobriety, <laughs> you know, because I um, tried to fill that hole, you know, tried to, a lot of it was trying to get over the girl that left me. A lot of it was just validation, trying to find another high. So I made a lot of poor decisions through Tinder and Bumble. Um with that, you know, a lot of some one night stands that did not make me feel better. Um, but through my, that single era, I did meet, uh, my now girlfriend, um, Genevieve or Vive, who, you know, mm -hmm. um, we, that was not a dating app. That was just through a mutual friend and who, a, a friend of hers that I worked with set us up. She had just gone through a divorce and was kind of looking to start dating again. Um, so first date was great. Um, and we initially, we immediately kind of had the connection because she's an Al-Anon member because her ex-husband is one of us never stayed sober. Definitely. So that relationship, that marriage kind of failed. Um, but she kind of got, you know, AA and got yeah. my recovery and understood it. And I feel like beyond that, you know, that was just kind of a, a great coincidence, but we really connected. Um, so yeah, got, and skipped over this, but I'm in Charleston, South Carolina at this time. So that's where I got sober, 
for four and a half years, met Genevieve. And then right after I moved in with her, she got a job to move us to New Orleans. And we were actually on vacation in California when she got the offer. And she said, yeah, I got the job offer. It's really good. I think I'm going to take it. And my first thought was, fuck, um, yeah, mm -hmm. moving again. And just the <clears throat> typical fears, I guess, just, uh, you know, I'll do it, I guess, but I'll bitch and complain about it. I really don't mm -hmm. want to. Um, I'd rather move than be single again. And it was um, the best thing that ever happened to me in my sobriety. You know, I, I moved here and I, I think maybe not the first time, but definitely the most powerful sense of gratitude I've had to be sober, a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous is moving here because <clears throat> number one, the AA in New Orleans is awesome with, you know, just amazing humans, but just beyond New Orleans it made me realize that I don't have to be alone ever again. You know, I, yeah, we, we moved down here and I just started going to meetings. You know, I just did the same things I did four and a half years prior. And it was like, I was a newcomer again, but my life wasn't in shambles. Um, so I, I went to meetings. I raised my hand whenever they asked, you know, or, or is anybody new here? I said yes to everything. You know, I did all, I said yes to the fellowships when I didn't want to. I tried talking to as many people after meetings as I could. And I did a lot of uncomfortable shit. Um, you know, specifically my first night at three legacies, I met Chaz and he said, Hey, there's this big easy retreat coming up in like a few weeks. You should come. And he, he didn't think much of it. He was just like being Chaz, just kind of throwing <laughs> something out there to a new guy that he yeah. thought he thought would, he would never see again. Sure enough. I showed up at the fucking retreat and you know, I showed up. He's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, you told me to come. So I came. He's like, I didn't think you actually would. And it was so uncomfortable because I didn't know any, like I had met him once. Um, but other than that, I walked in this cabin in the middle of nowhere with no cell service, no TV. And I don't know anyone and I'm there for the whole weekend. So I walk in and I'm like, wow, super uncomfortable. Um, you know, just trying to make typical small yeah. talk to people. And my first night there, I was like, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. This is so uncomfortable, but I stuck through it. And I think that's, the best thing I've done in at least in new Orleans in sobriety, because that's where I formed the relationships that I have now. And, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with just the city and how awesome the people are. A lot of it's just AA and what you put into it. But man, I uh, have the greatest group of friends here. You know, I, I got a home group that, that I love that I am super excited to be a part of. I got a sponsor that has helped me out tremendously and you know i just it's like that daily sense of camaraderie and friendship and just living life with amazing people and that's you know i think what makes my life so amazing today you know aa's brought or sobriety has brought me everything i could have asked for you know if you had asked me what i wanted almost seven years ago it was you know, I want, I want to travel so that I can have a fire Instagram account to make that girlfriend jealous. <laughs> and, you know, I want to travel. I maybe want to get into some hobbies. Of course I want to make a ton of money. It was all material things, Yeah. which I will say I've, I'm, I've been very fortunate in sobriety. I have, you know, I, I pay the bills comfortably. I have a, in my opinion, a really warm uh, household that I really enjoy 
going home to, you know, I get to experience a lot of fun things. I don't stress about finances. I mean, I definitely have fears about it all going away and me fucking it up, but you know, but that doesn't fix me. You know, I get the material things and they feel good for a small amount of time, but it's just like another drug, you know, it gets me high. And Mm -hmm. then I feel fearful afterwards that, you know, that I'm going to lose it and I'm going to fuck it up. Like it doesn't, fix me. I feel like where I feel the most peace and like happiness and gratitude is just enjoying life with other people, you know, um, like being invited to be on this podcast and feel like, you know, allowing me to kind of open up with you and have this connection and going to Chaz's wedding in Austin where I feel like we really connected for the first time like that. I don't know about you, but that was like the most spiritual I felt maybe like almost ever, you know, just that whole weekend. That was a great weekend. It it was incredible. Yeah. Um, so just the vibes and energy of that weekend and then just realizing like beyond, and this is a great thing of AA. I think about like what gives me the warm and fuzzies isn't shit that I get, which I thought I want. Like I, I mm. came in and my sponsor was like, Oh, you got to help other people. I was like, what? Gross. Yeah. <laughs> ew, I don't want to do that. Um, you know, and, but now it's just like when I think about like, Chaz and Alexa, like their stories and like where they came from to have this beautiful wedding. Now they're about to have a kid in like an hour. Yeah. Um, Oh really? I mean, not really. I I mean, like within the next week, um, I think this weekend, but just things like that. Like, and I get to be a part of that. Like they, I turned my life around and now I'm, I get to be a part of everyone. And they want you in their lives. Yeah. You know, people, it's just, yeah, it's such a fucking amazing thing, man, because that is what gives me the fuzzies. Mm -hmm. Like that, like when I think of like, because you're, because AA, you get into it or in this way of life. And it's like, you know, you hear people say helping people is the bright spot of my life. For a very long time, I, I was pretending it was the bright spot of my life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, being, a, but like, what happens is that like, you learn to love people, you learn to connect with people, and you and you and you do connect with people on a, on a level that like you never think that you would have been able to again in adult life. You're just like, well, that's it. Mm-hmm. I've made all the friends I'm gonna make, and then lo and behold, boom, you have the closest and deepest relationships that you have ever had yep and they keep coming yeah yeah <laughs> they keep coming you think like oh, but that's it i've got a pretty full life and then this boom. is the top and yeah. then and then you meet more people and it's it's, it's really insane it's crazy it, it, yeah number one i didn't think to your point i didn't think that was possible without alcohol for sure yeah. like way back if i'm to look in like 2015 my thoughts i was like there's no way i can connect with other people without that social lubricant without just because I felt so mm. like, I guess awkward. And so uh, I just wanted to isolate myself. Like yeah. in, like if in being sober and raw, I was like, Oh no, I don't want to talk to other people. So yeah, I learned, you know, I learned to connect with others and I love that you said it like, they just keeps coming. Cause that's been my experience. I, you know, of course there are dips and kind of low points, but the general trajectory is up. Yeah. You know, and I just keep, like, I have a thought of, like, gratitude every once in a while where it's like, it can't get better than this. <laughs> like, I guess this is the peak. Like, a, a, eventually, life's got to start getting shitty. But it really, like, in my experience, and I know people go through really hard times. Um, but, you know, it's like every year since I've come into AA, it's gotten better and better. Mm. It, it really has. Um, 
you know, just as far as memories, the people that I meet, you know, the new people that come into my lives or even deeper connections with people that I had known, it just keeps getting better. And, you know, life isn't always great. Not even because bad, sh I don't even need bad shit to happen to me for me to start flying off the rails. A lot of it's just in my head, mm -hmm. like the, the judgment, the fear, a lot of it's work now. Like I have convinced myself that I'm getting fired mm -hmm. any minute now. I'm convinced, like I'm definitely gonna lose my job. Uh, and that may happen, you know, but I've come to the point, I guess it's just trust in God, trust in, yeah, that's what it really is. Just trust in God and trust in life unfolding that even if I do, I'll be fine, yeah. you know? That's just how my story will play out. Um, and I think that that like the longer you stay sober, the more evidence you have of that too. So it's easier. I think it's easier as you go on to go, I can let go. Mm -hmm. I can just let this be what it is. Cause like the longer you stay sober, the more you have to do it, the more evidence you have to it. To yep. Be. So, right. yeah. So that's, that's what life is today. Um, yeah. I just, I'm so grateful for, AA, obviously I'm grateful for new Orleans. Um, you know, and that's really me moving here is just kind of a, a microcosm of my experience in sobriety is like something that I did not want to do that had me full of fear, full of discomfort ended up being really good for me. Mm. You know, somebody said it in a meeting, I think you were also at last week, maybe is like seeing the difference between my will and God's will is my will is usually something that obviously I want and that will bring me like dopamine or <laughs> pleasure immediately. Like it feels really easy and then it always ends up re pretty rough. It could be like real traumatic in nature or it could just be me feeling like crummy. Um, that's my will. And then God's will is something that I really don't want and then it ends up being amazing. So that's, you know, that's, that's just the journey God's taken me on. Um, yeah, you know, and I don't know, are we out of time? I think I'm trying think to figure out how to like smoothly close this out. I think that, I think that was <laughs> nice. Uh, I think that that's like the perfect like metaphor for like just working the steps, getting sober is like, it's the, the God's will is hard in the beginning and easy in the end and my will's easy in the beginning and hard in the end and mm -hmm. that's like but that kind of like summarizes it perfectly so i think yeah okay i think we're good all right thank all you right. for having me this was great yeah thank you for doing this bro i'm i'm glad i'm glad we didn't cancel i am too i'm glad i didn't cancel because i was like oh man <laughs> i wanted to cancel yeah. i was nervous but i'm glad we didn't all right yeah me too all right bro all right man Thank you.